Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven talk radio that promotes happiness from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights trendsetters and change agents who offer sound emotional fitness tips for improving mental muscle tone and greater well-being. Guest experts include a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who are devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and positive lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. All righty then, let's get to it. Today we're talking about appearances and they do matter. How good design does a body and soul good? And my first guest is India Hicks. India Hicks was born in England to a famed decorator named David Hicks and Lady Pamela Hicks. Her grandfather, Lord Mountbatten, was the last viceroy to India, granting their independence in 1947. She was a bridesmaid at the wedding of her godfather, Prince Charles, to Lady Diana. India lives with her partner, David Flintwood, and their five children on Harbor Island in the Bahamas. And I'm happy to say that today, although a hurricane is pummeling the Bahamas, um, she's coming to us from England. Welcome, India. Thanks for joining us. My gosh, thank you so much for having me. Hey, this is this is our pleasure. And one of the things that I think we should mention is that you are being awarded and celebrated by uh, the Good Housekeeping with the Good Housekeeping Entrepreneurship and Female Empowerment Award. And this is a pretty big deal. Talk a little bit about that. Well, it, it is, and it feels incredibly flattering. But of course, being a bit, getting the Entrepreneur of the Year Award from Good Housekeeping is hugely exciting um, and, and, uh, and probably makes me feel it's really worthwhile all the sleepless nights, all the hours away from home, having to explain to my children I'm leaving again. But also to remind everybody, of course, it's not just me on my own. I've got an amazing team of people in our headquarters in Los Angeles um, who work as tirelessly and every hour I do and are incredible ambassadors. You know, without the ambassadors, we don't have a business. So, you know, it's not it's not an award that I accept on my own by any means. 
And and that's beautifully said because for all of us out there who have bu- businesses, who ha- have brands, we don't do this alone. I think this is the very um, interesting and subtle difference perhaps between women-driven company and men-driven companies. Um, it, it, you know, I go back to your work and you've been doing lifestyle branding and working in the design and beauty field for most of your professional life. And prior to us beginning our chat, I mentioned that on my vanity in the bathroom, I have a glass decanter that has coral on it, um, sandblasted in the bottle, that is from a collection uh, from your early partnership 100 years ago with Crabtree and Evelyn. So you've been around a long time. I certainly have. I was 50 yesterday. I really have been around a long time. 50 is like the new 30. So you're young. (laughs) (laughs) It had had better be. I have to say I have an awful lot of fun. I mean, the business that we've launched um, now has really given my life a complete point of view. And I feel very, very passionate about what we do. I have a... Uh, I have great adventures with the women who join us. I've had the great blessing of being able to travel across your amazing country. I've experienced so many different parts of America. I've got women from all walks of life joining us. I don't care where they come from, what social status, what income, what color, anything. As long as they feel excited about the opportunity, ready for an entrepreneurial adventure, passionate about design. In fact, if you look at my Instagram account, which is India Hicks Style, you'll see quite a lot of the ambassadors featured there. You'll see my nutty life. You'll get a little bit of the product. You'll probably get a lot of a lot of what it feels like to be part of the India Hicks journey. And when we talk about India Hicks as the brand and the products that you've designed and are putting out in the marketplace, they're very interesting. They're beautiful scarves, handbags, um, goods for the home. Talk a little bit about your design process and how you bring those to market. Well, we're very conscientious about our price point. I don't want to feel elitist in any way at all. None of our prices go over $500. In fact, 70% of the collection is under $100. I think if someone goes to the website, they'll find that there is a $36 rollerball that they can buy, or indeed there's a $499 uh, handbag. But we're really, really careful about our quality. And we like to believe that we do partner with some of the world's most incredible craftsmen. Um, our fine fragrances have been developed over 18 months with a lot of care and thought in them. The details of the hardware that we design for our handbags, the painting of the leather on the edging. So a lot of the brand is about these details. We're quite understated. There's not huge amounts of color. I like it to feel very elegant, very timeless. I'm very lucky to have had um, an amazing dad who was a great designer and really set the world alight in the interiors with his incredible color schemes, his geometrics, um, and he always put old with new. And I think a lot of that is part of my own DNA. But I like to think that India Hicks, the brand now, has quite a, a strong look and feel of its own, and that we stand apart in many ways. We have design elements that feel very unique to us, a lot of earthy romantic tones, and then flashes of bright flamingo, that's our kind of company color. Um, we, we, we take a lot of care in, in, as I said, the craftsmanship, so that they, these do feel affordable, but at the same time, they do feel luxury. I think one of the reasons that I was keen to name the company um, after me was just I wanted to be accountable. I want to make sure that when something goes out that I feel really, really proud about it. I want to make sure that when a woman joins us, she feels really encouraged and supported by us. And having my name on the door 
makes me every day get up and make sure I'm doing the very best I possibly can for anyone who's coming into our business. Which leads us back to the the Good Housekeeping Entrepreneurship and Female Empowerment Award. And we're out of time. So to learn more about India Hicks and her fabulous line and ways that you might get involved and become part of the tribe, please visit www.indiahicks.com. On Twitter, you can find India at India Hicks Style and on Facebook, India Hicks Inc. And thank you, Miss India Hicks, for being part of the show today and joining me. Thank you so much. I hope people do get excited about the idea of the possibility of building a business. Indeed. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. Wait just a sec. Before we take that break, I want to chat with you about one of my favorite passions, and that is yoga. I've been practicing yoga for nearly 20 years. Yoga is my go-to activity for a sound mind, body, and spirit. Yoga is also my personal antidepressant. But the challenge is finding the time to do yoga with a busy schedule that includes international travel. Luckily, our proud sponsor, Yoga International, has solved that dilemma with more than 1,500 of the best yoga classes, courses, and challenges available on demand and on the go. So whether you are just starting out or a seasoned yogi, you can find a great class from the comfort and convenience of wherever you are 24-7 on any digital device. Yoga International is an affordable and growing online community of more than 300,000 members that serves all levels and abilities. Classes are portable, fit your schedule, and less expensive and way more convenient than traditional studios. So come join me on the mat to practice, learn, and be inspired by a variety of styles, including vinyasa, hatha, yoga for beginners, restorative, kundalini, and yin. And here's the best part. Listeners of Harvesting Happiness can learn and practice with some of the best yoga teachers in the world right now for free. Yep, that's right, free. Yoga International is gifting a free 30-day trial membership at yogainternational.com slash happiness. So grab your mat and get your 30-day free trial at yogainternational.com slash happiness. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if... Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each 
Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life, and at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at harvestinghappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we're talking about appearances do matter. How good design does a body and soul good? And my next guest is doing just that. Pamela Peckerman is a lifestyle expert and editor of PamelaPeckerman.com. This busy mom of two toddlers loves to share time-saving beauty and style tips and empowering lifestyle changes with her audience. In addition to appearing on morning shows from coast to coast, including PIX11 New York, Good Day LA, and NBC Miami, Pamela is hosting a new digital show. I'm so excited about this with Parents Magazine called Mommy Moments, which will show all moms have shared mommy moments in an effort to combat the surge of social media mom shaming. Welcome, Pamela. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super, I'm happy and excited to chat with you today. Me too. I, I, I'm excited to really profile the work that you're doing because you are a mom of young yep. children. You've got mm-hmm. little ones. Yes. And finding and creating happiness in the midst of raising young children in a chaotic household can be a challenge. Talk a little bit about that. You know, it, it's interesting because, um, you know, it's it's hard to when when my kids came into the picture, um, I had already been in the media and entertainment industry for a decade. You know, mostly focusing on in the fashion space. Um, and after they came on board, at first I thought to myself, nothing's going to change. The kids are going to be the accessories in my life, and I'm just going to keep on going as is. I'm going to keep working on that. Right? You're laughing, but it's you know that's this was my delusional self. I thought, okay. Not only I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this without a nanny because, you know, you want to be the martyr, right? You want to be the mom who's like doing it all by herself and running your business by yourself and you don't need anybody. Well, that's baloney. That's my nice way of saying it. So it took me, it took me, I would say, two and a half years to figure out motherhood, how I wanted a mother. And then I, I needed to figure out where does my professional life fit into that, which is very interesting because I was going into it the other way around where I was like, okay, this is my professional life and I'm going to figure out how motherhood is going to go into it. Because I thought, no, I've been growing a business for over 10 years. I was the go rosy girl. Like I can do this. And then I realized, you know what, maybe the person that I was, you know, thinking that I would become in my thirties was maybe not what I wanted to be anymore. And that is a very hard realization. So to go to your question about, you know, motherhood and doing what I'm doing right now, I literally had to take a moment or it was really almost a year and step back and realize is what I'm doing previously in my professional life really feeding my soul and making me happy? And is it, is it facilitating the life that I want to want to lead now? Because that was, I now had a different realization of what my life wanted to be like. I wanted to be more active in my kid's life, which might sound crazy to some people, but I didn't know that I actually wanted to be as present as often as I now realize I wanted to be. And so how could I create a life, a professional life, because I love what I do and I didn't want to stop doing it, but how could I do it in a way that would allow me to be there when I wanted to be there? And so that's kind of it took me a while and I realized everybody has their own happy formula life and I'm going to figure out mine. And I spent time doing that, trying to figure indeed, that out. Indeed you do. And for those of you who don't know Pamela's persona, it, it, she is a petite powerhouse <laughs> dynamo that is on fire. You really are a, a, a lifestyle expert. You you speak on behalf of, 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 of several products and 
you did have to figure it out, which I think is it can be of great comfort to people because it normalizes that like kind of we're we're all having to find our way. Exactly. You know, I, I think, you know, I forgot who said this, but somebody said motherhood is, is you know, the ultimate equalizer. Right. And so it, it's interesting because the show that I'm going to be hosting for Parents Magazine this fall, and I, I, you know, I'd love for everybody to follow me on Instagram at Pamela Peckerman. So I'll be telling you more about it. But the idea for even this show, which was the idea that motherhood is a spectrum. There are so many options. And I realized that in the four and a half years that I have been a mom, because I have a four and a half year old daughter and a three, almost and a half year old son, um, I have tried everything. I've tried to stay at home. I've tried to work from home. I tried the something in between. I've had no help, a lot of help. And so I realized there's so many options that, and we're all judging each other. First, we judge ourselves. And then now, thanks to social media, you can go and say, oh, my God, Pamela's just ter- like, why is she spending so much time doing her hair today? She should be, you know, making baby food from scratch with her, you know, whatever. Uh, right. I mean, we all, we all get that. And so that's sort of I let my life now dictate my work and vice versa. So I now after I sort of took a step back, I realized, you know, I don't want to just talk about fashion. I don't want to just talk about beauty. I want to talk about what is authentic in my life. So what do I know right now? I know that time is precious. I know that happiness is attainable for all and we just have to choose it. It's like right in front of us. You just go and you take your hand and be like, I'm going to do this happiness thing. It's not going to be that hard. I just have to choose to be happy and then everything follows suit, which which took me a very, very, very long time to realize that because I battled myself for a long time. And that's sort of, once I sort of stepped into my authenticity, my professional life became even better. I joke right now that I work less and I make more, which is very true than I used to in my 20s. I work less and I make more because I'm so true and authentic to where I am in my life. I am a mom with two kids. I know what it's like to have morning madness when everything is falling on the floor. I know what it's like when you have a temper tantrum. And and I know what it's like when you're trying to figure out, oh my God, I just want to put on mascara right now. Can you please just be quiet? Right? And so I am now, it's true. It's like, I just want to put on mascara and maybe some under eye concealer so people believe that I look like a human being. And so I look for these products, whether it's specifically for mom or for the family that are like time-saving tips because I get it. I, you know, I live it, I breathe it, I test it, I try it, and then I share it. And so my entire professional life is re- literally coincides completely in unison with my real life. Um, and I, and I also, I'm smart about my jobs. I say, I, I, I say no when I know, okay, I want to be there for the first day of school. I want to be there X, Y, and Z. Unless this is like a major something, I don't know what I'm going to be there. That's it. So what I hear you saying is that for you, that, that this pathway has been combining congruency, you know, so you're walking your talk, you are a creating a life that you're actually creating and calendaring, like physically scheduling and prioritizing those things that matter. You're able to fire on all cylinders. And this has taken practice. I mean, here you are oh, into yeah. into motherhood, you know, just a, a few short years, really. And, and you've got this down. And I think this is an inspiration for others who are with young children, either battling, being at home and trying to figure out what, if anything, they want to do outside the household, or maybe they're in a high, high powered job position and they're trying to figure out how do I balance this? How do I do this and not, and not die in the process? Yeah. And, and what I would say, and by the way, I, I have to just say, I will clarify, I do not have this. And I always joke, they say anybody who, who is a mother who says, I got this, 
I want to know what you're taking because I want to take it with you because we don't always, you know, it's true, you know, and I even try to post this even on my social feed, like there, it's never, it's never perfect, you know, but you have to sort of see beyond, beyond that and realize it's not perfect, but it's great. You know what I mean? Like, okay, at the end of the day, it's really great. And so yes, somebody had a temper tantrum and somebody didn't want to put on their clothes today and somebody wanted to walk around, you know, without their underwear it happens. And, you know, I, I didn't get to do that job today, but maybe I'll do it tomorrow. But, you know, sort of it, it sort of co- comes to the end of the day and you're like, I, I, I'm still so happy. You know what I mean? And so that so that's why I say, like, I don't have it all together, um, but I try very hard. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I always say I, I sort of have I have my my no no's, my limits, like you were saying. Um, and scheduling is a big deal. I, I, I live by my calendar. Um, and I also realized to leave gaps because inevitably a mom makes a schedule and that's always a joke because for example, like right now I'm technically on a, on a vacation and I get a call that's, you know, um, I need to be on a production call in, you know, a a half an hour. I'm going to make that work because that's super important because that's for parents magazine. And I've been, you know, building to have my host, my own show and create it for 15 years. So I'm going to make the time for that. And then in the middle of that, I'll get a call just now that my daughter is not feeling well. And can I get her, can somebody take her to the doctor? And I'm like, Sure. Let's just figure this all out. Um, but and you will, do, and you will, because you know what? At the end of the day, if you are, if you're a person who doesn't leave room for um, anxiety and panic, because panic and anxiety just take up space in your brain, right? When you clear up, clear out that nonsense, and you just focus, you think clearly, you're gonna find the answer, and that goes for everything. So I, mm-hmm. I have no, you know, obvious to say that I don't stress out. That's sort of a, lot, a lie, but like for the most part, I especially the last year and a half since I feel like my, I've just, I feel like I've awakened. I can't even explain what it is except that I feel like I've awakened. I don't really stress. I'll have anxious moments, but they're very quick and I, I snap them because when you are stressed out, when you, when you focus on your pain or whatever it is, you're just not able to be as effective as a mom, as a wife, as a friend, as a, you know, as an entrepreneur. I, that's what I found. As a producer, I mean, you as a you, producer, yeah, yeah. I mean, and that this is what you're doing now is, is, is as your job. We're almost out of time, and I want to yep. just uh, tap into one more element that I know is a very big part of your life and your happiness, and that is philanthropy. So, just yes. talk a little bit about the Vasculitis Foundation and um, direct our listeners over there. Yes. Oh, thank you so much. So, um, I am a um, relatively newly minted board member of the Vasculitis Foundation, and this is an organization that is devoted to helping to increase awareness as well as um, education and finding a cure for vasculitis, Um, which many people don't know. Vasculitis is a rare autoimmune disease that causes inflammation of the blood vessels. Um, if anybody remembers from a few years ago, uh, famed uh, producer and actor Harold Ramis from Ghostbusters, yes. when he passed away, that's actually what he had. Um, and uh, my father had this illness and unfortunately also passed away in late um, 2009. And for me, this this was earth shattering. I was I had you know 10 days away from my I think it was 26th birthday and um, the. I call him my, you know, everybody in their family has a, like a soulmate, right? That person who's sort of the closest to you. And that was my dad, um, both in, in physical appearance and in, and in sort of our childlike sense of wonder for life. We were very similar. And so I lost that person. And, and I think um, it took me not that long to realize that um, this pain could lead to something else. And it has. 
Um, so I very quickly became a volunteer for the foundation over the years, with the exception of the time I took a little bit off, obviously, when my kids were just born. So for like two and a half years, I wasn't active. But I'm now a board member. I, I Every November through December during the holiday season, I, I create a, th- a campaign called Shop for Vasculitis, where I get designers and brands on board. So if anybody's listening and wants to join, um, we they donate a percentage of sales to the Vasculitis Foundation, and I do TV segments around these brands to obviously promote them and promote the foundation. Um, but philanthropy is very important for me, this in particular. I also think it's an opportunity for your children to see that you are going beyond yourself. And that is a very big lesson. So when you are in pain, the easiest thing to do to relieve your own pain is to help somebody else. And I have found that as much as I'm helping people, um, whether it's, you know, starting the Instagram campaign for vasculitis or doing the shop for vasculitis, other things that we do with them, they are helping me as well. Because I, you know, I have lost my, my father, but I am helping other people to find their way to, to, to better health. And they're helping heal my heart in the same, in the same way. To learn more, please visit vasculitisfoundation.org. To learn more about Pamela Peckerman, please visit pamelapeckerman.com. On Twitter, at Pamela Peckerman. Facebook, Pamela Peckerman. And Instagram, my dear, is? At Pamela Peckerman, P-E-K-E-R-M-A-N. And be on the lookout for Parents Magazine new digital show, Mommy Moments. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. Thanks, Pamela. Thank you. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at HarvestingHappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support. We all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstance. Sure, things will inevitably happen in our lives that are out of our control. There is only ever one thing that is totally within our control, ourselves. When we have command of ourselves, we are better prepared to handle life and bounce back more quickly when challenges arise. Whether you see the glass as half empty or half full, the glass has the capacity to hold more. You have the capacity to be happier. The tool to harvesting your happiness is within your grasp. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life, and at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's kind, free, legal, available 24-7. And we're talking about the science behind experience. Our theme today is appearances do matter. Good design does a body and soul good. And I'm really curious about the why, the psychology of how our environment impacts our well-being. My guest today is Sally Augustin, PhD. She is a practicing environmental design psychologist and a principal at Design with Science. She has extensive experience integrating science-based insights to develop recommendations for the design of places, objects, and services 
that support desired cognitive, emotional, and physical experiences. Her clients include individuals, manufacturers, service providers, and design firms in North America, Europe, and Asia. And this is so cool, Sally. I'm so happy to have you here because many of you might know that my undergraduate degree is in architectural design. So I'm keenly aware of how our environments impact our feelings, our affect, but the question is why and how. So welcome. Glad to join you. So let's talk about how our sensory experiences affect the way we think and behave by influencing our mood and, and why mood really does matter. Sure. Um, mood matters because the mood we're in influences how we think and behave. For example, when we're in a good mood, when we're happy, um, we um, are better at problem solving, we think more creatively, and we get along better with others, for example. And the different sorts of sensory experiences that we're having, the colors we're seeing, the scents we're smelling, the sounds we're hearing, all of that combines to um, encourage us to be in one sort of mood or another. And when we talk about affecting mood in our environment, there are many ways to do it. One, of course, is color. Talk a little bit about color and the other ways that we can um, affect our, our, our mood and our well-being. Sure. Um, I'm happy to speak with you about color because um, color is one of the um, easiest um, ways that people can influence um, uh, what's going on in, in, in their heads. Um, you know, we, um, when, uh, when we live in a space, you know, sooner or later we have to paint the walls, you know, reupholster the furniture, etc. And the colors that you choose to do that can really have a big effect on the life that you live. Um, so uh, first I want to um, define um, three aspects of color really fast. Um, when we talk about the psychological implications of color, we have to think about a color's saturation, brightness, and hue. And hue is the name we give to a set of wavelengths of light. You know, so there's blues and greens and yellows, etc. Those are hues. Saturation is how true a color is uh, to the ideal, or you can think of it as how grayed out a color is. So um, Kelly green is more saturated than khaki green or sage green. And brightness is, um, you know, surprisingly enough, um, how um, bright a color seems, which is really gets down to how much white is mixed into it. So baby blue is um, uh, brighter than like uh, sapphire blue. So if you want to think about people's emotional experience of color, you need to think about saturation and brightness. Um, and as it turns out, colors that aren't very saturated, but are relatively bright, say a sage green with lots of white mixed into it, well, looking at those sorts of colors is really relaxing to us. So they're uh, great colors for uh, bedrooms or any other place where you want to decompress. Um, uh, so, um, you know, the other sorts of colors, colors that are um, more saturated and not so bright, such as like uh, a Kelly green, those are great colors for places where you want to energize. And when I'm talking to you now about colors that are relaxing or energizing, I'm talking about um, uh, findings um, that have been rigorously derived and published in the peer review press. And I don't want to leave you out when we're talking about the experience of color because um, different cultures 
form associations to various hues, and those make a real big difference when you're when you're choosing a color. Um, for example, um, in um, many cultures, blue is linked to being um, dependable, uh, reliable, trustworthy, etc. So it's a great color or a great hue to use in, say, an office. But you know, the associations that cultures form to other colors, uh, uh, other hues can, can can make you know selecting a little more challenging. Um, for example, um, in our culture, we link yellow to sunlight, but also to cowardice. And in French culture, um, the uh, color yellow is linked to being um, uh, uh, to basically to cheating on your spouse or your partner. So, mm. you know, um, so we have to think about cultural associations to hues while we're keeping in mind these, um, uh, un- you know, universal responses to saturation and brightness. So and, when we're, de- wait, hang on one second, let me just jump in here and ask you a question about this. Because when we're designing yeah. our environments and, and we are designing our environments, even if we don't think of ourselves as designers, you know, we're, we're, picking color, fabric, um, textures, um, decor for our home spaces, our business spaces. What I hear you saying is that we make these selections based upon the desired mood or affect that that we wish to have. So we can be a little bit more intentional and end up with spaces, let's say, that are more productive and energetic or more relaxing and soothing and calming, you know, such as our, our bedrooms, our living rooms, our, our family rooms, things like that. So talk right. a little bit about how to make those kinds of selections. Well, I think that when you're designing a space for yourself, um, and as you say, you know, um, this is something that everybody is up to all the time, whether they label themselves a designer or not. But, you know, when you're deciding, you know, which of those paint chips, um, you know, at Home Depot to select, you know, or, you know, which, you know, upholstery fabric to use, et cetera. Um, you have to think about your desired um, uh, outcomes in the space. You know, like, are you creating an, an office and you want to do great work or write the next great American novel in that space? Are you creating a kitchen where uh, you want people to hang out and have a good time? Are you creating a kitchen where you want your kids who are stubborn about um, uh, what they choose to eat, to eat, you know, um, um, more of the things you put in front of them, etc. And, you know, when you think about these desired outcomes, um, uh, you can um, uh, figure out which uh, aspects of, of the research that's been done that you need to apply. For example, um, we've talked about uh, colors a little bit already, and um, it's important to know that we have um, very special relationships with the colors red and green. For example, um, uh, seeing you know every shade of green that's been tested so far, um, uh, well, looking at those greens influences um, how creatively we think. Um, So when you're looking at greens, uh, you're more likely to think creatively. So if you're, you know, writing a a novel, you know, it would be great to play up greens, um, green colors, uh, green hues in your your home office. Um, uh, uh, Warm colors stimulate our appetite. You know, um, so you can use um, more reddish colors in, um, in, in in kitchens to encourage people to eat. And looking at red 
also gives us um, a burst of energy. So um, if you're putting together a home gym when you, where you want to uh, do things like uh, lift weights and things like that, you want to make the wall that you look at as you're doing whatever red because doing so will give you a burst of, of energy. So it's important to design for a space's purpose, design for what you want to have happen in a space. That's fascinating. I didn't know about the green for creativity and the red for uh, energetic boost. Uh, talk about like the optimal space for gathering, you know, where to feel connected and well engaged. What are some colors that elicit that sort of coziness? Well, when we see other people against warm colors, um, we have a more positive response to them. So it's great to use um, warm colors in like a living room or whatever space where you want people to gather. Um, also, um, we're more relaxed and sociable about when we're um, uh, in a light, a warm light. So it's great to pair the um, uh, warm colors with the um, warm lights, uh, with warm lights, um, uh, you know, um, you also want, um, furniture, furniture that's not only, you know, obviously comfortable to sit on, but also arranged in really particular ways. You know, if chairs, for example, are set up so that, um, they're right angles to each other, you know, imagine a conversation across uh, the corner of a table and you understand what I'm getting at when I say, uh, chairs at right angles to each other. Anyway, when chairs are at right angles to each other, people can make eye contact um, or look away gracefully um, as the conversation demands. So, uh, so um, you know, by uh, um, using warm colors, warm lights, and furniture that allows people to gracefully look at each other or away from each other as, you know, the conversation dictates, you can create a space where people have a great time. We're going to need to jump off for a break. To learn more about the science behind experience and the work of my guest today, Sally Augustin, please go to her website at www.designwithscience.com. You can find her on Facebook at Sally.Augustin. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life and other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at shophappy at harvestinghappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on, working too much, not working enough, having too many responsibilities, not having enough money, enough time, enough space. The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com.
Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life, and at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. We're carrying on the conversation about the science behind experience with environmental design psychologist Sally Augustin, Ph.D. So, Sally, prior to the break, we were talking about the importance of furniture placement that um, would elicit being able to connect, make eye contact, and then gracefully look away. So uh, creating environments that are hospitable to connection um, but not overwhelming. Right. Uh, you know, in our culture, we're um, raised to make eye contact with other people. You know, making eye contact is supposed to show we're interested, blah, blah, blah. But sometimes, you know, there can just be too much of that good thing. And, um, you know, uh, we can overwhelm each other by maintaining um, steady eye contact. We really do need to um, look away from each other from time to time. So, you know, um, if... Um, Chairs are set up so that people aren't, you know, nose to nose, but are basically at 90 degrees uh, from each other. It's much easier to look away. And it's also easier to look away if there's something that we call, you know, in the biz, a focal point to which people can um, direct their, their gaze. That means, you know, it's great if there's something like a fish tank with swimming fish or a fire with crackling flames, etc., um, that um, people can um, divert their gaze to, that people can look at when they need a break from each other. Because in our world, we give each other uh, um, the permission to look at things like a fish tank or a fire from time to time, and nobody um, feels upset when the person they're speaking with does that. So you make a really good point about the sort of the awkward silence that can ensue when we take a pause in our conversation. And I, I, I get what you're saying, that having these focal points, it makes perfect sense that one can then commune with that focal point and it takes the oddity out of the pause. Exactly. And you mentioned something prior to the break about warm light when we're trying to create, you know, connection and intimacy in our public spaces, that the use of light um, and it being warm light in particular is is a benefit. And I think that's really important to bring up because you have all this LED lighting technology that when it first started out, it was very cold light. And now we have a lot more options. So you've got the um, the energy efficiency and you also have the the um, environmental mood ability. Exactly. You can actually um, tune many lights to desired colors. And um, if you personally haven't moved up to that sort of technology yet, if you um, go into a store and you're buying light bulbs, um, it seems everywhere I've gone to buy light bulbs recently, there's been a handy dandy little display that um, explains to you um, whether a particular light bulb produces warm light or cool light and um, uh, what the purposes of the various different sorts of lights are. So um, it's pretty easy to create um, a space with a color of light that supports uh, whatever you've got in mind. 
I want to uh, mention one more thing about the the layout or furniture placement, and, and, it, and it popped into my mind. Um, I was reading a book talking about there being a conversation with the president in the Oval Office, and the person who was in in the Oval Office was noting that the president took took the conversation sitting behind this big desk that gave this sense of being blocked from the connection. Whereas previous presidents would hold all the meetings in a circle, casually sitting on the sofas and the chairs, more relaxed, more connected, more engaged. So I think in our in our public spaces, in our professional environments, that's also an issue. Yes. And it, it's interesting. Research has shown over and over through the years that generally when um, uh, people seat themselves in a room of any sort, um, uh, the leader of the group will sit with a view of the door, which from an evolutionary perspective gives him a certain command. And you can run into real trouble if um, there's a, a window across the room from that door because if the leader sits uh, himself or herself down with the, so they have a view of the door and there's a window behind them, that means it can be very difficult um, if there's a lot of light coming through the window to, to see what the facial expression is of, of the leader. And um, facial expressions are one of the ways um, that we um, uh, gauge um, how um, people are responding to what we're saying. So when you can't see somebody's facial expression, that makes it really uh, quite challenging. Let's talk a little bit about personalities and how personalities thrive in different sorts of places and, and demographic also. Sure. Uh, you know, one of the most important aspects of uh, personality in terms of how people experience space is how extroverted or how introverted an individual is. And, um, uh, extroversion and introversion don't really have anything to do with how sociable people are, but it really has more to do with, um, uh, uh, where people derive um, their energy that drives them forward. Like introverts have a rich um, uh, inner world and they're really energized by the various thoughts that they're having where extroverts, and I'm an extrovert, um, uh, uh, so I can speak to this um, from my own experience. People like me who are extroverts uh, uh, get really energized by being around other people. Um, so um, whether someone is extroverted or introverted has a real significant influence on the sorts of spaces in which they'll feel comfortable. Um, those of us who are extroverted um, really don't do as good a job at processing the sensory information that we're exposed to as people who are introverts. Um, so therefore, um, people who are extroverts prefer more sensory stimulation, more energizing colors, smells, textures, etc. Um, in the in the worlds they experience, while people who are more introverted prefer more carefully curated experiences. So the oh. sorts of spaces that in which I'm thrilled are can be really uh, too much for for others. Like I'm an I'm an extrovert you know I would um, uh, you know add potpourris and um, uh, various textures and sounds and things like that to all the various rooms in my house but my husband is an introvert so in order for us to happily share uh, you know our, our home um, I need to um, pair back and you know we use restful colors in, in the bedroom 
in our in living room, places that we share, um, smoother textures, not as many textures, not as many patterns as I would if left to my own devices. And, you know, there are other implications, Lancome. Uh, people like me who are extroverted prefer to see um, uh, uh, people in art where um, introverts, you know, it, it can be um, really happy with something like a, um, a uh, landscape scene. People like me who are um, extroverts love to furnish their homes with couches um, where um, people, yes. <laughs> people who are introverts prefer chairs with arms. And um, my, living room furniture is actually, you know, primarily two couches that are parallel to each other. I love this as an introvert. I mean, as an extrovert, I love this as an extrovert and I purchased this furniture eons and eons ago, but um, I've learned both by reviewing the research and through experiences in my own life that um, all these couches, the two parallel couches are really too much for some. So I've, um, you know, at either end of this, you know, set of parallel couches, I've um, added um, uh, upholstered chairs with arms. And um, those are the seats that my um, introverted um, friends and family gravitate towards. So, you know, when you're thinking about um, introversion, extroversion, uh, you have to think about things like um, uh, creating a more carefully curated environment or not. Um, uh, uh, providing um, uh, a more sort of individual seating options or not, you know, that, um, it, 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 and these choices have a really big impact on when, on whether people in a space will feel good, whether they'll relax, whether they'll want to come back or whether they'll find for your front door. <laughs> I, I want to jump in here because I want to really challenge our listeners to think about your personality type and think about how your design style, it really coincides with what you're talking about, Sally. I mean, I know for myself, I I love textures. You know, I love throw pillows. I love, you know, throw blankets. I love great smelling candles. I love warm light and everything's on a dimmer and I've always got music on in the background. So I'm like, I'm working on an experience here. And my, my partner, Christopher, who's an architect, he likes it like, you know, zen. You know, he'd like it, you know, white walls and low furniture and be done with it. I bet he's a lot like my husband, personality-wise. Probably. You know, yeah. and, and, so and you he designs space for a living. You know, the other side of it says this, yeah. this is what he does for a living. So it's it's very interesting. Let's chat a little bit about demographics. Like when we're, when we're okay. looking to create space that's suitable for children or um, people who are in a hospital healing or creating a healing environment, what do you recommend? And what does the science say? One of the most important things to consider when you're creating a space for people whose lives might be compromised in some way, for example, because they're ill, is to try through the physical environment to give them back some sort of control over their life, to give them some sort of environmental control. When we have environmental control, that's a tremendous boost for us psychologically. So if you're creating a space for someone who's ill, give them an, uh, somehow uh, an opportunity to affect the lighting in the room, um, uh, whether the blinds are open or closed, um, the art that's on the wall, etc. You know, find ways 
that people can determine their own place destiny and you'll have um, happier and healthier um, people in the spaces you're developing. And what about for kids? You know, uh, uh, places where children congregate. What is a, what are what are good colors to use that will be uplifting for kids, but not overstimulate them? Right. Well, kids respond to color saturation and brightness in the same way that adults do. So therefore, you know, if you're creating um, a space where you want people to learn, don't pack it with energizing colors, make it make those colors more relaxing. Also, make sure that there's just not too much going on in a space where you want kids to learn. Pair things back. Um, You know, you don't have to take out all of the um, number lines and stuff like that, but a lot. You're really gearing to create a space that has the same level of visual complexity as you might find in an interior designed by Frank Lloyd Wright. And the thing that's important to remember when you're designing for kids is that um, not every kid is the same. And um, once children move out of um, about elementary school, maybe the fourth grade or so, well, they don't want to be in the same sort of spaces where babies are, right. you know, it's very important for them like that. Um, if you're, you know, creating like a doctor's offices that where they will visit, et cetera, that they, um, these people who are becoming really becoming young adults, um, don't find themselves, um, in spaces that they link to, to small children. So you, you don't want, um, you know, those um, fantasy animals and things like that in spaces for older children. So you ha- when you're designing for kids, it's really important to remember that not every kid is the same. We are out of time. And to learn more about the work of Sally Augustin and to learn more about how to explore the physical and psychological needs of your space um, to meet your mood and, and, and your eyes, Please go to designwithscience.com to connect with Sally Augustin. Please do so at sally.augustin on Facebook. And we are, we're, we're out of here. But here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guest today, India Hicks, Pamela Peckerman, and Sally Augustin, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of consciously curated talk radio from the heart. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on Toginet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.